text of emphasis this morning is found in the book of Acts and chapter 8, and we're looking at verse 26. And it says there this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. Let's pray. God, as we consider this story, we pray for insight and understanding as to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been here over the last several months, you know that we have been working through this book of Acts, this narrative telling the story of the church in Beta, the newborn church, when it was just getting started as it was uh, starting to expand and, uh, and explode. And so we've uh, been looking at these stories with eyes open, trying to discern what we can learn here in this community of faith that is Advent Hope, uh, so that we can be also an effective community of faith. So what we can learn from the Beta church, the newborn church, that we can we can be a healthy and whole community of faith today. That's our intent as we work through this uh, book of, of Acts. And uh, so today, maybe it's appropriate to just uh, be reminded of uh, our mission as we've been evaluating what Avon Hope is supposed to be and our purposes, as Manny mentioned in, in our prayer and our, our mission to take just a moment and, and uh, review that together. So uh, as we've been on this journey together of, of self-evaluation, uh, we've come to identify our mission as to cultivate a community that learns and teaches how to follow Jesus. This is what we want to be. We want to be a community that teaches and learns. It's a two-way street. How to follow Jesus. A place, a community where we can come to, to, to 
to live out those elements, learning and teaching what it means to follow Jesus. And then we've said that our, our strategy, how we're going to accomplish this uh, mission, is that we're going to nurture spiritual growth here as a community. We're going to communicate the good news, and we're going to embody the life and teachings of Jesus. Those are our goals. That's our strategy to be a place where people learn how to follow Jesus. We want to nurture spiritual growth. If you're a part of this community, we want to help you to grow. We want to grow together. We want to communicate the good news. The, the good news is essential to what we're about, and we want to effectively uh, communicate that. And then we want to embody the life and teachings of Jesus. We want to do the things that Jesus would do regardless of the outcome. We want to help those who are in need. We want to, we want to do what Jesus would do. So this is our, our strategy to being a place that learns and teaches how to follow Jesus. Now, rooted in, in this strategy is uh, this one idea that we want to focus on today in the context of Acts chapter 8, and this is the idea of communicating the good news. Communicating the good news is our our theme uh, today, because communicating the good news has been an essential part of what it means to be a healthy, whole community of faith from the very beginning. In fact, Jesus' last words to his uh, church as he was leaving, to his, those uh, newborn uh, believers, was about communicating the good news. In Matthew chapter 28, we, we would read what's often called the Great uh, Commission. This is Jesus' mandate for his church. Go and make students of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to live out everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And so this idea of communicating effectively what God is about, what his work has been in this world, what he's doing and what he wants to do in the life of human beings is essential to what it means to be a healthy, whole community of faith. And so we then see a lot of amazing stories in the narrative of the bait of church, that early church. We think of the story of uh, Peter, which we've talked about recently. I won't go into too much detail, but you may remember this story. Uh, Peter is on his uh, roof dreaming about uh, communicating the good news, and then God reveals to him that this, this communication effort that he's going to be about is is far more uh, uh, reaching than he would imagine, and that in his uh, racism, he was too limited in what God was going to do, his, his imagination of what God was going to do. And so he's called to share with a whole group of new people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so the dramatic story of Peter, as his mind is expanded to share the good news to uh, the, the non-Jewish world, we read the many stories of the, the great uh, apostle Paul, which much of the, uh, the rest of the story of Acts is about him communicating to the Roman world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so this idea of communicating the good news is essential to certainly the book of Acts and to the ethos of the beta church, the newborn uh, church. And so, so many uh, dramatic Stories. So again, communicating the good news is integral to what it means to be an effective community of faith. And yet we think of uh, the church in uh, North America, the church in the Western world, and we recognize that increasingly 
the, uh, the statistics are showing that the church is becoming uh, increasingly ineffective about communicating the good news. Um, several years ago, Pew researchers uh, released information indicating that uh, more or fewer and fewer people were associating themselves with uh, Christian churches, Christian congregations. In fact, they were making the assertion that uh, uh, Christianity uh, as an organized religion is, is, in, is in trouble. An 8% a drop in the matter of just 10 years as to those who identified themselves with a, a Christian church. And so here we have in the beta church this example of a healthy whole community that's really effective in communicating the good news and yet we look at the church in North America and we're talking about the church very broadly here the church in North America and much of the western world not being very effective when it comes to communicating the good news communicating about what God has done on our behalf so we have to ask ourselves uh, what is going on what's going on here why why is the church not being effective at communicating the good news? Now, there are certainly a number of cultural and sociological uh, answers to or responses to that question, what's going on? Why is the church not being effective? Um, but for sake of time, we'll look at just uh, three responses. So three responses to this question, what is going on that the church seems to not be very effective at doing one of the core tenets of what it's about, communicating effectively what God has done on our behalf. First one, the, the church has increasingly depersonalized the communication of the good news. The church has depersonalized the communication of the good news. Um, when we think about what it means to share uh, the good news, uh, we often think of uh, people uh, giving someone a a book, giving someone a book, or giving someone a, 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 a pamphlet, or if you're really old school, you'd call it a tract. And, you, and, and so giving, giving, giving out books, or, or uh, referring someone to a, a video presentation, or, uh, or even bringing someone to a, a gathering event where they're going to hear somebody talk about uh, the good news. These are the prominent ways in which uh, the church, the contemporary church, often imagines itself uh, communicating the good news, telling a person to watch a video, read a book, hear a sermon. Uh, but all of these ways are, at some level, impersonal. Impersonal. And so the, the gospel, the good news, is often treated as a product, something that we sell, and so you've got to give a person a booklet about it, or you've got to show them the advertisement video, or you've got to have them come and hear a presentation uh, about the good news. And the reality is these are impersonal uh, ways of sharing uh, anything. And, I mean, again, don't get me wrong, there, there's, there's maybe some value in sharing materials or watching uh, videos or bringing people to come and listen to someone talk about uh, the gospel, but if we think about how we help people become friends with each other, uh, this may be these these uh, modalities don't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, if you want to introduce one person that you like to another person that you like, you want them to become friends. 
you're probably not going to be real effective by saying, you know, hey, here's a book about said person, read this, and then you'll get to know this other person and you'll live in, in beautiful relationship with each other. Or, or uh, you know, I, I want you to know about this person, you know, go to this website and read, well, I, I guess you might do that. You might send them to LinkedIn, right? Go, go read their LinkedIn bio or go read their Facebook bio and see all their pictures of their whatever, and then, then you'll get to know each other. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you might do that. Um, the reality, though, is that if you want two people to get to know each other, what, what are you going to do? You're probably going to schedule something like dinner together, right? You're going to go out to get dinner. You're going to wait one out to dinner and the other out to dinner at the same time, and then you're going to share a meal together, right? Uh, or you're going you're gonna to have them over to your home, or you're going to arrange some personal way of interacting with each other. So is, is it possible that this impersonal element of sharing the gospel is affecting uh, the church's ability to do it well? And that we need to be thoughtful about getting back to personal ways in which we bring two people uh, together. If we're really talking about God desiring to be in relationship with each other, relationship happens personally. It doesn't happen through reading a book or watching a video, or even coming to a worship event. Now, again, don't get me wrong. Advent Hope, we love some worship events around here. We see 104 worship events each year we plan for, along with all kinds of other stuff that, that goes on here. So I'm not saying that those things aren't important and don't help, but it's the personal. If we want to be an effective community of faith that's really sharing something that we believe is good, it has to happen personally. Uh, secondly, why is the church uh, ineffective in communicating the gospel? That the church has uh, become, and we talk about church as, as a community, but also as individuals, the church has become apprehensive about the very idea of communicating the gospel on a personal level. I mean, some of us are so scarred by the bad experiences of people who feel like they're communicating the gospel. I mean, you all know, you've been on the subway before. You've had the person yelling at you on the subway, the gospel, and it doesn't feel very good when that's happening, right? Has anyone done that here, by the way? Do you yell at people on the subway? My suggestion is don't do that. I mean, I don't, I don't know what conviction you've, you've come to, but my experience is that that is rarely, rarely effective. And so what's happened is we see these bad experiences of people yelling or people, you know, um, without any thought of another person giving out material and it just doesn't feel healthy. And so we kind of back off from the whole idea of, of, of sharing the good news in the first place, of communicating the good news. And this, this isn't a, a good thing either. By the way, I should just note this. If you are here today and you were introduced to the good news, the gospel, in an ineffective way. Uh, first of all, thank God you're here. You made it somehow. Uh, but if you were you berated in the subway when you needed to be encouraged, if you were handed a book when you really needed to meet a friend, uh, if you've been invited to listen to a sermon when what you really needed was someone to listen to you, I'm sorry. The, the, the reality is the church has been ineffective in, in many ways, and so I'm glad that you've made it here 
somehow if that was your introduction to the gospel. So bear with us as we as a community of faith trying to figure out how to, in a healthy way, in a healthy way, communicate what we believe is really fantastic news. So we said that uh, people in the church, the church have become apprehensive about communicating the gospel uh, on a personal level because uh, we're scarred by the, the bad experiences. I mean, again, if shouting at someone in the subway is what it means to share the gospel, most of us are not going to sign up for that, right? We had a sheet in the back, Helen's back in the sheet. Sign up so that you can shout the gospel to people who are trying to get to work in the morning. That's going to be a very small list of you who want to, want to be a part of that, and we're not going to promote that um, anyway. Um, uh, beyond this, we're apprehensive because in our uh, so- social circles, uh, it may seem unseemly to you know, even be a person of faith, more, uh, more so to share your faith. And in your work environment, it may be even perceived as unethical, as unethical. So uh, for all of these reasons, we're oftentimes apprehensive about even communicating that we're a person of faith, more or less sharing that faith in whatever way, or communicating that faith in whatever way we may see fit to do that. So that's second, we're apprehensive about communicating the gospel on a personal level. Thirdly, why the church may be uh, so increasingly ineffective about communicating the gospel, that the church and people in the church are under the assumption that people are moving away from faith and that few in the larger society care anymore about the gospel. There is that uh, assumption. And that assumption, by reading some of the Pew research, seems uh, legitimate. But if you dig a little deeper into that Pew research and you also uh, look at the larger conversation, what's going on in, among uh, philosophers and communicators of a faith, you'll see that there's actually a, a different story going on. People are not, for the most part, moving away from faith. For those of you who are in the community group that I'm uh, a part of, and you know we have community groups. Yeah, Frank, there we go. Um, we have community groups that are meeting throughout the city. Uh, Sarah, I know you've got one. Each of you are doing different activities. My, the community group that I'm a part of, we're reading a book together. Uh, Making Sense of God, the new book by uh, Tim uh, Keller. And he starts the book by making the argument that all the sociological research is in, that if anything, uh, faith is growing by leaps and bounds when we look at the, at the world. Let me read this uh, quote from that book, Making Sense of God, to you. Uh, researchers tell us that the 21st century will be less secular than the 20th. The 21st century will be less secular than the 20th. There have been seismic religious shifts toward Christianity in sub-Saharan Africa and China, while the evangelical and Pentecostal movement have grown exponentially in Latin America. Even in the United States, this is again a quote, the growth of the nuns, these are people who identify themselves as really not being a part of uh, of faith, have been mainly among those who have been more nominal in their relationship to faith in the first place, while the devoutly religious in the United States and Europe are growing today. Belief in God makes sense to four out of five people in the world and will continue to do so in the foreseeable future. He goes on to quote numerous statistics that show that faith 
is growing and that there was, a, there was a, the, the old idea among sociologists in the 60s and 70s was that as people got more educated and became more wealthy that they would move away from faith, but the evidence is that this is not happening. That even in places like China, for example, that is experiencing a lot of economic growth, that along with that economic growth, growth in faith is happening, particularly growth in Christianity. And so the church sometimes is not effective in communicating the gospel because uh, uh, we, we fear that nobody cares, that people in the larger society are actually moving away from faith and that the gospel really doesn't speak to them. But the evidence is the opposite. People are moving toward faith, but they're not always fi- finding it in the established churches. I mean, the, the evidence with those, those nuns, those people who, who are not attending church any longer, they're not becoming atheists. In fact, uh, atheism only grew from 1.5% to 3% over that time period. People are not becoming more atheists. They're not, just not satisfied with the church. And one, one researcher said it's because they find the church to be ineffective and boring. And I bet you can relate uh, to that. I mean, boring, <laughs> boring church is nothing, is nothing new. So as we think about what's going on in the community of faith, a community that was rooted in communicating good news, and yet we find the community is being ineffective in doing this, we see you know, these are three of many, many other uh, reasons the church has increasingly depersonalized the communication of the gospel. People in the church have become apprehensive about communicating the gospel on a personal level because they don't want to be associated with the crazy people. And people in the church are under the assumption that people are moving away from faith and that few in the larger society can uh, care anymore about the gospel. Okay, so where does, this, uh, where does this leave us? If we want to be a healthy community of faith here in the Advent Hope community, we want to be effective. We recognize that part of our, our, our work as a community of faith is to be winsome in how we communicate the good news then we've got to wrestle with these realities, and maybe the story of uh, Philip can give us a little bit of help as we uh, close today. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we see the story of this, uh, this man who's part of the Beta Church. He was an early follower of Jesus, and uh, Jesus is now gone, and this newborn church, this Beta Church, is trying to figure out how to exist, how they can be faithful to what God has invited them to be as a, as a community. And so we see um, God speaking to this or, or, or impressing this guy named Philip in Acts chapter 8, verses 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So, uh, what did he do? Did he get out his uh, strategic plan? Did he go to the printing presses and have a bunch of books printed? Did he make sure that his website was in the best shape possible? The Bible just said he started out. So God communicated to him, hey, go do this. And he was receptive to do what God had asked him to do. So he started out, and on his way, on his way, he happened to meet an, an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, an important official in uh, charge of all the treasury of uh, Kendik or Candace, which was like the pharaoh of, of Ethiopia. And so this man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. Now, just a little side note, the likelihood is were this man to have gone to Jerusalem 
where he had, had to gone to the temple, as one would imagine that he, he did, wanting to know more about uh, what he was learning, he would have been rejected at the door because we uh, know that in the first century, if you were a eunuch, you could not enter within the gates. So we're imagining a man who potentially was disappointed about his religious experience. He'd, who knows, saved up all his money so that he could go off to the holy city of Jerusalem and get some enlightened teaching. And when he showed up at the door, he wasn't allowed in because racism and prejudice existed in the first century just like it exists today. He couldn't get in. He couldn't get in. So he went up there uh, to worship, and so we imagine a, a man who was potentially downtrodden. He still has questions. He went, to, he went to church to try to get the answers, and he didn't get the answers. So he's reading Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, on his way back, and what does God do? He arranges for this simple man, no superstar, Philip, who all he was was receptive to walk up beside him as he's in his, what I imagine as a luxurious a chariot. Luxurious chariot. Um, verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. So he's a little, he overhears this and he's compelled. Hey, hey, you're reading Isaiah. This is, this is a strange. And, the, and the, 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 the Ethiopian says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. That's a great question. He went up anticipating that at Jerusalem he would get his answers that he was looking for and he didn't have that experience. So now he's on his road home and there's Philip. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. And this is a quote from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. It's a compelling part of the Bible. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is Isaiah talking about? Himself or someone else? He has no clue. Who, who is, is Isaiah talking about? And then, verse 35, maybe the key to this whole narrative, Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. What can we learn from the story of Philip in the context of just communicating the good news, of being a community of faith that is, is open to, to sharing good news, not to pressing our, ourselves upon people who don't want to hear what we have to hear, not for being strange and weird, but just being receptive. Well, the, the, the first insight is that's indeed what Philip was. He was receptive. He didn't have any plan, but God was like, hey, go to this road. And Philip was like, hey, God, you tell me to go to this road, I'm going to go to this road. And then a chariot with a man, go run up beside the chariot. You're talking about a guy who was receptive. Now, we read this and we recognize in New York this is uh, hard to do. Sometimes we would all have to admit it's hard to be receptive when we feel like God is calling us to do something because we're busy people, right? We've got things to do. We've got other matters on our mind. And so maybe this, this first insight, Philip was receptive, easier said than done, but it allowed him to effectively communicate good news to someone who apparently God had been working on a long time before Philip ever got around to meeting, which is insight number two. God is at work in people's experience. God's doing things, 
with people that we have no, no idea ab- about. And he's looking for people who are going to be receptive to help follow up on that because when we're talking about relationships, relationships happen with a people, not just with information and knowledge. So God wants to use people like Philip to, 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 to take things to the next level, and he did that with this Ethiopian man. By the way, another side note, the Coptic church in Ethiopia has been around since the first century, recorded its prominence in the third century A.D. Most Bible students link the Coptic church's uh, existence back to this interaction between Philip and this Ethiopian man. And by the way, side note of a side note, the Coptic church, this gets Seventh-day Adventists very excited, the Coptic churches were known for centuries as being one of a very small group of people who continued to recognize the Seventh-day Sabbath as being the, 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 the day that God ordained in the Scriptures. So the Coptic church for, for, for hundreds of years was a Seventh-day Sabbath-keeping body of people. And that goes back to this story of this guy, Philip, who was just receptive. God told him, hey, go to this road. He was willing and able to go there. He did it. And then he walked along that uh, chariot because God impressed him too. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a bizarre story, again, for those of us who maybe aren't always as receptive as we, we could be, but we can see what God can do when we're open and willing. So we think uh, back to what it means to bring and help people to understand and to know uh, the good news, that this really starts with uh, shunning the idea of depersonalizing, uh, communicating the good news. Good things happen when people talk with each other, when they care about each other, when they're willing to engage each other on, in, in personal ways. Again, if you have a friend and you want them to know another friend, you're going you're gonna to arrange personal meetings. You're not going to send them a video or a book or to a website. You're going to arrange a dinner together. You can have them over for dinner. And we, don't, we don't have to be afraid about communicating the uh, good news because we have experienced negative versions of that. We can experience a positive version of communicating the good news as God leads us into positive experiences. And then finally, we also don't have to be afraid that people don't care about the gospel. People are dying and hurting in this world for good news. I mean, if there's anything that this world needs, it's more, more good news. Can we agree on that? And if indeed, if indeed the Bible and the story of Jesus is good news, then we have nothing to be afraid of. Good news. It's good news. Now, Christians are really great about making good news terrible news. Let's admit that. Let's admit that. We're, sometimes we take the best news and make it absolutely terrible. Let's not do that. As we recognize what God has done on our, our behalf, if we, as we recognize that God is calling us into a relationship with, with him, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that God did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And as we recognize that and we embrace it and we see it ourselves as good news, may we be people, may we be a community of faith that holistically and healthfully can communicate good news to other people, not in a weird way, not in talking to people who don't want to be talked to about 
You know, our faith, that's, that doesn't work. All the evidence is that does, that doesn't work. But if we have the, the spirit like Philip had, is receptive to the to people who maybe need a good word, who need a friend, who need somebody who can care about them, who need help. That we can communicate the gospel as God calls us to communicate the gospel and that we can be a faithful community of faith here at Advent Hope among us. That we can mix like salt and light and be tasty and be revealing to a world that is hurting and in need. The world needs good news. May the gospel be good news for us as we embrace it ourselves, and then may we proceed with eyes wide open and a readiness of heart to communicate the relationship God is calling all of humanity into for the sake of of helping everyone experience the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, you hear the cry of our hearts as a community here, a community that's been here for 60 years in this uh, location, but a, a community that transcends this, this building. We want to be faithful to you. We want to be tasty to the world around us. We don't want to be oppressive. We don't want to be uh, hateful. We don't want to create confusion, but we want to share joy and love. And so we pray as we continue to think about what it means to do that, that you will impress us and encourage us. And may we be, Phillips, today, open and receptive to following you where we can help others. In Jesus' name, amen.